All right, we're continuing our new series that we're calling The New Life. We're called out of the old and into the new to be born again, to live the new life in Christ. Last time we talked about water baptism. We started that off with Hebrews uh, chapter six and the elementary teachings and the instructions about cleansing rites or instructions about baptisms, plural. And so we talked about water baptism last week. And as we, and we'll, we'll reread a bunch of the water baptism scriptures because they have Holy Spirit baptism in them too. So these are kind of woven together. So today we're looking at baptism in the Holy Spirit, something that, you know, uh, it's an important topic, but it's full of different interpretations and various controversies and that sort of thing. Uh, but it's an important thing. So I'm going to do my best to talk about this biblically and from my own personal experience. So the correlation between water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism are actually pretty strong. Last week, again, we talked about the ministry of John the Baptist and how he, you know, had a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He baptized in water for repentance and people confessed their sins. They were baptized in the Jordan River and they walked in the forgiveness of God. And then after that, John says something else is coming. So we're going to read this from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, just to make sure that everybody knows this is not some weird side teaching. This is not something over, over here that a certain group has picked up on because, you know, Christian groups are like that. They want to find a detail that they can be experts in, and then they can make fun of everybody else because they're not experts in that detail. Let me tell you, God is not on board with that. That is not helpful. But I believe this is a central theme, uh, a very, very important concept in the scriptures. And so let's go ahead and look at this from all four gospels and the book of Acts. So Matthew 3, 11 says this, I baptize you with water for repentance. It's John the Baptist speaking. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So one verse. John baptizes with water for repentance. Somebody else is coming to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Then we go to Mark chapter one, Mark chapter one, verses seven and eight says this. And this was his message, John the Baptist's message. After me comes one who is more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So big stuff there. Let's go to Luke chapter three, Luke chapter three. We've got the same basic concept here. Luke three sixteen. John answered them all. Again, John the Baptist. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So there you go. Let's go to the Gospel of John chapter 1. Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 32 through 34. This one is kind of in a side note sort of place in the Gospel of John. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. Talking about how Jesus was baptized in water and what John saw when that happened. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. I have seen and, and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So we see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John baptizes in water. And then, of course, we saw that Jesus also baptized in water, though not, not him directly. He, had, he may have baptized some people, but he regularly had his disciples baptize people. So water baptism was carried on. And then 
the Holy Spirit baptism didn't really fully happen. You know, things sort of kind of happen. We can get tripped up with our very scientific, very rigid, uh, you know, flow chart mentalities. You know, a lot of these things aren't 100%, 0%, you know, like there's either an orange in the fridge or there's not. It's, it's, well, the orange is getting in the fridge or, you know, like there's half of an orange is formed in the fridge. You know, it, it's stuff like that. It's not quite so black and white and simple, but Acts 1, 1 through 8, we're going to read this whole section here. This is the beginning of the book of Acts, and it's a setup for Jesus to get his disciples ready for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on them. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. That's one of my very favorite verses. If he's presenting himself to them, how convincing do the proofs have to be? But it's a funny way that's phrased. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So they're reverting back to when Jesus was alive and thinking he's going to kick out the Romans and they're going to rule on earth in a governmental rule. And uh, this is Jesus' reply. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. So he's like, we're going to set that aside. I'm not going to answer your question, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So amazing stuff, amazing stuff. We see a pattern here in these verses. The pattern is People putting their faith in Christ, putting their faith in God, turning to the Lord in salvation, you know, a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. So that's phase one. And then after that, there's someone coming who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. And that's Jesus. Jesus is going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. So we got water baptism. We got Holy Spirit baptism. So let's, uh, let's make one more point before I tell a personal story. So The baptism in the Holy Spirit is different from water baptism. Water baptism is a public declaration of something that's already happened in your heart. Whereas Holy Spirit baptism is something that happens in your heart at the time. And it's also just like repentance. You know, we're in a kind of a constant state of repentance. We're not in a state of shame, but we're in a state of trying to get our lives, you know, better, hitting the mark more effectively all that sort of a thing. So we're in a constant state of trying to improve. We have a growth mentality. So repentance is kind of part of the continual life. Again, not looking down on yourself, but you know, trying to figure out how can I get better? How can I do better? How can I rise up? But so water baptism is like, I gave my life to Christ and this is a public declaration. Now a wonderful spiritual thing can happen to you at water baptism. Absolutely. But Holy Spirit baptism is not a symbolic thing. It's a thing that happens to you. It's like being healed, you know, a divine healing. That's not symbolizing anything. You're just getting healed. You're having a miracle from God happening in your life. And we saw that in Acts 1-8, where Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he's telling a group of about 120 that they are gonna change the world because they will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now they have knowledge, they'll gain more, but they need the Holy Spirit. That will lead them into the fullness of the power of God. This also is stated in the gospel of John chapter seven, 
kind of a foreshadowing situation here in John 7, 37 through 39. Jesus is going to the festival and, you know, his brothers want him to go and all this stuff. And, and he's like, eh. And, and so now he's going to the festival and he's going to say something important. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So here we see that John baptizes with water. Then that's for repentance. People repent. Jesus dies on the cross. He demonstrates that he's alive. He rises to the father. And then we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two. So that's how we see this. Let me tell you my personal experience with Holy Spirit baptism, initial physical evidence, all that stuff. Because, you know, this can get into that weird category. You know, I'm with you on that. I was not someone who was a big fan of this idea uh, as a new believer, but I missed out on some significant empowerment. So let me just talk about that. As a new believer, I was 19 and I was, I'm like, God is real? You got to be kidding me. Like, I don't have the foggiest clue how to intellectualize the reality of a creator God. Like to me, it just seemed like complete impossibility. So I sought that out, ended up studying philosophy in the secular university system, got a bachelor's degree and a a master's degree in philosophy. And what's super helpful in philosophy is it helps you doubt your presuppositions. And since my presuppositions were atheism, we knocked a few uh, cracks in the wall of atheism, which is enough for faith. It's enough for trust. It's enough to say, Lord, I, I believe that you are there. You know, I can't prove it. I can't, I can't make somebody else believe it, but I trust you. I'm in. And so that was super important for me. But at the same time, something was going on in my heart because I was somebody who, you know, was raised to do things with excellence, you know, do things well, you're going to do something, do it good. Don't, don't do things halfway. Excellence was just an expectation. There was, you know, like you weren't going to come home with straight C's and it's going to be okay. You know, that just was not part of the reality. If you do well at the tournament, but you don't win, it's like, well, that was okay. You know, I, I, I did some good things, but there's more that I should have done. So there was an expectation of excellence. And then when I turned away from just, you know, atheistic, you know, self- you know, grabbing after accomplishments and your own pleasures and whatever, all that stuff, uh, and helping other people, you know, it's not that one-sided. Then I started looking at the church and the more I got to know the church, I'm like, wow, you know, we didn't have God and we were doing these things. You claim to have God and you're doing this, you know, and the hypocrisy, the stupidity, just to, to boil it down, maybe a couple phrases, would hit it. Number one, I felt like the church had taken the alpha and the omega and made him into a cartoon character. Like, isn't that blasphemy? I was super angry about that. I've mellowed on that some. We can do kids' church stuff with cartoons, but it still bothers me a little. (laughs) And the other one was the church has made faith in Christ so ridiculous that normal, rational people will reject it. And it just made me so angry. And I started seeing the church as the problem. And darkness built in my heart over a seven-year period of time. You know, it, it kind of ebbed and flowed, but it built over seven years to the point where I was just furious and angry and just thinking like, you fools, you know, I just had a darkness in my heart. 
and I went to a conference and they had a time where they're going to cheer for all the pastors. And I'm like, I'm not cheering for them. They're the ones steering the ship into the rocks, you know, fools. But I thought, where am I going to go? You know, it's a big venue. I don't have time to get out of there. So I just decided I'm going to, I'm going to hang out and see what happens. So I was there, they had all the pastors stand up and a crazy thing happened. I started recognizing some of them. Not that I knew them from before the conference, but like walked by the hallway with that one, hot dog line with that one. They seemed nice, not the evil monsters that are destroying all the good things of God, you know? And uh, by this time, everybody's standing up and cheering for the pastors. And I'm standing up too, which I don't know how uh, that happened. I do not remember standing up, but I was standing And all of a sudden this, you know, like that thing that pops in your head, these are just normal people trying to do the best they can. What are you doing? Uh, I'm not really doing anything. I'm just complaining about those people. So I'm just hating them. And I thought, well, these are imperfect people that have really sacrificed a lot to serve the living God. And I thought, well, who's the bad guy here? And I thought, I I, I guess it's me. And a, just a, a conviction hit me so hard. And it was like my chest had a bucket of cold water in it just in the center of it. And it's like the bottom just fell out and I felt it just go whoosh. And I felt a love of God from the broken church hit me. And I just was amazed at the love of God for the broken church and a compassion for those who are doing their best, even if it's not that great. And I was so shaken by it. I'm still standing up that I start to say something like, wow, that's really something. And, but instead some other thing I don't even recognize comes out of my mouth, which freaks me out. So I sit down and I'm like, what the heck was that? You know, cause I was not a big fan of say baptism, the Holy spirit and speaking in tongues. You know, I'm like, fake me a real miracle. Don't just babble nonsensically and tell me you're connecting with the creator of the universe. You know, I wasn't super pleasant in those days. And I was just so shocked and amazed But let me tell you, that was the day of my spiritual heart transplant. That was the day when I went from a fault finder. I tell you, you could say 99 things right and one thing wrong, and I would dissect the one thing. Oh my goodness, I I was good at that. I went to graduate school to do that, to somebody who could look at the 100 things and see some good things and go, yeah, you know what? This stuff is actually creating a problem, but good job on this. Let's seek the Lord on on getting more clarity here. And I had a love for the broken church because just me being out there hating people doesn't do anybody any good. I want to step in. I want to be part of the mess. I want to do what I can to help. So that changed my life. And you can ask my wife. uh, I have not been the same since. That was 27 years ago, something like that. Yeah, 27. And I've not been the same since. And it's a thing also of continuing in walking in the spirit, praying, you know, seeking God, listening for the the still small voice of God, seeking the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It, you know, it, we want to open ourselves to that whole thing. So my experience is very important. We see this as core biblical truth. It seems really important, but it can fade away. You know, I mean, there's whole denominations that will, you know, they'll go, they'll go to the death on, you know, like this isn't for today and that sort of a thing. And it's like, it's the last thing that happened. You know, like, uh, are we going to back up? It, it, it's, it's the New Testament church. So why does it fade away? Well, it's weird, especially in a post-enlightenment world. It's weird. It doesn't give uh, as much control to the leadership as they probably would like because the spirit might say, go over here. And the leadership had a nice little plan to go over there. And then they've got to evaluate, am I going to offend this person or yield to what they're saying the spirit is saying? And it's difficult to navigate. So, you know, it can get weird. There are people that fake stuff to fit in with the group. And then you've got just kind of yucky, weird stuff going on. 
You've got, uh, in the rare situation, you've got evil stuff happening. You know, you can be a false prophet, be prophesying, but be evil at the same time. You know, go to Matthew 7. You can see that just because somebody has profound spiritual gifts doesn't mean their heart's right. So there can be immature use of spiritual gifts and and baptism in the Holy Spirit where there's undue pressure on people or, uh, you know, there's just uh, in, in their zealous, they just do dumb things. There can be immature use. And honestly, it's not a salvation issue. You know, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is an empowerment issue, not a salvation issue. You're not saved by being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're not saved by uh, receiving power. You're saved by grace, putting your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And so if it creates a lot of tension in the church and people are walking away from God and it's not even a salvation issue, then that puts some pressure on the leadership. So it can be challenging. It's not a one-size-fits-all cure for every spiritual issue as well. I mean, there can be churches that are doing great in spiritual gifts and, and baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we can see that in, in the Corinthian church, you know, they were excelling in these sorts of ways, but they were absolutely failing in other ways. And so this is not a one size fits all cure. Oh, I speak in tongues. Everything's good now. It's just not that. So it can be difficult. And this fading away of the Holy Spirit, you know, go to the dynamic duo instead of the Trinity, this fading away of the Holy Spirit is not a new issue. It was true in New Testament times as well. We're going to go to Acts chapter 19, one through seven. And we are going to look at uh, a situation that happened with the Apostle Paul in Ephesus. So while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So you remember, Paul planted, Apollos watered. When we're talking about being citizens of heaven and not having division, there we go. Paul planted, Apollos watered. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, now notice, these are disciples. How much do they know? I'm not even sure here, but they're described as disciples. So they say, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Maybe you're in that spot. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. So they, they received the baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. Very, very important. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So was that a super huge group? Not a big group, 12. Uh, it's 12, but this makes the New Testament. So let's talk about this section of scripture for a little bit. They were already disciples. So I think that's very, very clear indication that this is not a salvation issue. It wasn't that, oh no, we need to get these people saved. It was, oh no, we need to get these people empowered into the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. That's what Paul was trying to do. And so how much do you need to understand to be a disciple? Not a ton. I mean, they, they talked about John's baptism. You know, was it from before John was put in prison? You know, like 10, 20 years? How, how, how long ago was that? I don't even know. Long time ago. They've been following God, though they're disciples. Paul felt it necessary to ask about the Holy Spirit. You know, like it must have faded and they didn't have the foggiest clue. So Paul explains it to him. You know, he explains what we read. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. He explains those things. You know, John's baptism, baptism of repentance. Now there's another baptism coming. And then they go grab ahead. So they receive the Holy Spirit. Different terms can be used to refer to the same thing, receiving the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, that, that whatever, uh, those words are all fine. 
Um, we don't need to get hyper specific. And I hope you're not bothered by talking about this topic because, you know, again, it, it can get a heart thing in there. And if, you, if you're seeing that heart thing going on in you, then, then seek God. Where's that coming from? Am I trying to defend the things I was taught as a kid? Or am I trying to defend what the Bible says? Or am I embarrassed or angry or what, what's going on? Look, look in there and see where's the conflict coming from. Uh, sometimes when people get bothered by something, they can try to get super specific about a bunch of details. And we're not going to get super specific about a bunch of details. We're going to look at the general principle and we're going to try to get a basic idea of what's going on. So the pattern described is water baptism for the new believer and then Holy Spirit baptism. But even in the Bible, that wasn't even always followed. Sometimes people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, received the Holy Spirit before they were even baptized in water because they were outsiders and the, uh, the insiders weren't sure if it was appropriate to baptize them. And so God with the Holy Spirit baptizes them and or Jesus, I suppose, in the more uh, specific definition of God, Jesus baptizes them in the Holy Spirit and Let's go to Acts chapter 10, verses 39 through 38. We'll look at this unusual situation. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, but they killed him by hanging him on a cross. So Peter is preaching at Cornelius's house. These are Gentiles. We haven't figured out that the Gentiles belong in the family of God yet, but Peter gets a vision from God. So he goes, and this is the sermon he's preaching. But God raised him from the dead and on the third day caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach the gospel and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the words of forgiveness, to everyone, which they've been excluded so far. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out uh, even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then they're baptized in water. You try to put formulas together. You try to figure it all out. And you're like, there's flexibility. You know, God is going to reach people how he needs to reach people if their hearts are open. So don't get all weird and try to gain control by creating a million little details. What are the general principles? Here's the general principles. Come to Jesus in repentance. Believe you are forgiven. Receive the forgiveness of God and then do your best to live the new life. Now you're going to need some help. So you need some empowerment from Almighty God through the Holy Spirit. So open yourself up to receiving the Holy Spirit for empowerment. Then keep growing and maturing as time goes on. There you go. Don't just think, oh, oh I did that. 1973, I'm done. Hallelujah. That's weird stuff, crazy stuff. I don't want to deal with it. But you know, cultivate these things. It's good stuff. It can be a little challenging, you know, uh, and at Good Hope Church, we, we give opportunities, not pressure. I do not want to harm anybody. I don't want to push anybody away from God. There are no second-class citizens in the family of God, in the kingdom of God. It, it's just a reality. But this is an opportunity that we should grab hold of. And even churches that are against the Holy Spirit, they'd rather have a Holy Spirit-filled preacher 
I can tell you that. They'd rather have a Holy Spirit-filled worship leader because there's something there that you can't get any other way. So the empowerment of God is something to go after. Let me talk about three misconceptions about the baptism of the Holy Spirit to mention quickly. Number one, we're not talking 100% or 0% of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit is present in the lives of people who aren't even believers. You know, who draws you to God in the first place? The Holy Spirit tugs on your heart. The Holy Spirit is moving in the lives of people who are rejecting God. Then once you come to faith, you know, even if it's a faith that doesn't believe in receiving the Holy Spirit, you're going to have more of the Holy Spirit than you had before. It's, it's just that simple. I think the best example in my life is Chuck Swindoll. You know, he's not a pro-speaking-in-tongues-baptism-the-Holy-Spirit guy, uh, even though he's very biblical, so that's weird. You know, and he's older now. Maybe he's changed. Uh, probably not. But talk about being empowered by the Holy Spirit in writing and speaking. Super good. So we're not talking 100% or 0%, so don't get, don't get worked up on that. Number two, there's a difference between the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues that operates in a church service with interpretation and this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's for everyone. Those are different things. Not everyone is going to speak in tongues in a church service. Hallelujah. You know, <laughs> and you know, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, God would just assume we went straight to prophecy rather than tongues and interpretation because it doesn't freak out the new people. So the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues for the congregation to hear is not something that everyone is going to have. That's a, a side thing that some people are going to have, but the Empowerment of the Holy Spirit is something for everyone. You don't have to be fancy, a super spiritual person. Just a regular person can receive the Holy Spirit of God in, in the way God speaks to you. You know, not to get too loose on that. You will know. It's not, it's not some sort of thing like, well, I prayed a prayer, felt nothing. I guess I'm baptizing the Holy Spirit now. You will know. So seek. And then the third thing I think that's really important for us, say Northern Minnesota people, Scandinavian people, is that an inexpressive culture can hinder this sort of connection with God. If you're worried about praising God with your hands up because somebody might see you, it's going to be hard to go into these sorts of things. But that being said, I've seen men in the sanctuary standing like this during worship, and they're having a powerful moment with God. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're just not expressive. Go ahead and learn how to be expressive. Get over that social anxiety, that, that group fear, that, you know, People are looking at me, you know, get over that because, or, you know, I mean that in an encouraging, not a shaming way, because it's challenging. I'm a huge, like, don't look at me kind of a person. I am Yontelovan written all over me, you know, I'm, but I'm trying to overcome it. I'm trying to walk in the ways of God in power. So three misconceptions. We're not talking 100% the Holy Spirit or 0% the Holy Spirit from, say, church to church, denomination to denomination, believer to believer. There's a difference between the spiritual gift used in a church service and the gift of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. And our culture can make this extra difficult, make people very uncomfortable, can make you uncomfortable in receiving. It can make other people uncomfortable as well. So uh, there's some challenges with that. So you may have a powerful experience with God, but you don't let something out. You'll get farther if you let it out. There you go. All right. Again, I'm a big fan of giving opportunities to go deeper with God, but I'm not a big fan of religious pressure. One of the biggest things that is taken away from people receiving the Holy Spirit is the goofiness of the Pentecostal church in trying to force people into things. Uh, it just doesn't work. It's just not good. Let's just not even pretend to go there. I believe in opportunities to go deeper with God, but I am not willing to tolerate religious pressure at Good Hope Church. So we want to give opportunities, but we do not want to give pressure. If the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something you are down with, fantastic. I encourage you in that. I thank you. I celebrate you. 
That's good. Doesn't make you better than anybody. You can have some extra empowerment. Hallelujah. That's good. But if not, and this is really important biblically, and, and we see it happening. I mean, we're having a, a, an extra revival of people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. One of our prayer team members has just kind of got an extra gift of leading people into that. And it's been really neat. So if you haven't received, I encourage you to seek that out. It changed my life. It, I mean, like I would not be here today if I were not given that spiritual heart transplant, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that extra cleansing from the Holy Spirit of my dark heart back in 1995. It's a big deal. A good Christian with a bad attitude, it's just not helpful. Changed my life. It's biblical. So why not open your heart to the possibility? That's it. Open your heart to the possibility. Holy Spirit baptism is not just for super spiritual Christians, but for everyone. Let's go back to John 7, 38 and 39 for our closing scripture. John 7, 38 and 39. We, we read this already. And, uh, it's just pretty, pretty clear here. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until, up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus says rivers of living water will flow from within them. Wouldn't that be great if rivers of living water flowed out from every Christian around the planet instead of, you know, ignorant pseudoscience or one-dimensional foolish political ideals or hate and disgust? What if instead we had the love for God pour out of our hearts, the love for our neighbor pour out of our hearts? We had gratitude pour out of our hearts. We had peace pour out of our hearts. We had joy pour out of our hearts. How would that change things? You see where I'm going? This would be amazing. Now, even if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that doesn't, you know, like I said earlier, it's not a one size fits all solution to everything. You're not just now perfect and everything that happens is uh, rivers of living water flowing from without you. You can still say something stupid. You can still do the wrong thing. Um, but you want to grab hold of the spirit of God and the truth of God more and more as time goes on and live in that. So let's let the spirit of God flow in so good things can flow out of our lives. God has given us an opportunity to get something good. Let's make the most of it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, that there is a way to go from head knowledge to heart knowledge. Some of it involves understanding things, but a lot of it is connecting with your spirit, sinking into our hearts, showing us your love, showing us that you smile upon us and that you are happy and, you know, your face shines on us. Even if we feel like we've failed, which I'm sure we have, uh, your love never fails. Help us to see your love, to grab hold of it, and let us be open to your Holy Spirit's guidance to heal our hearts and make us clean so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth, so that we can have a life that is ruled by love, that is ruled by compassion, that is ruled by all the good things that you have in your heart. Help us to receive in power so that we can have rivers of living water flow out from us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.